Let us turn our hearts. We are in Psalm 42. We have been walking our way through the the book of Psalms with selected Psalms. And uh, a lot of them, there are quite a few, and one of the reasons I've been, been jumping, there are many that are similar, that there are similar things that the psalmist is wrestling with. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is, is wrestling uh, at a level, I think it was Psalm 13, I thought was very similar to this, but Psalm 13 we addressed as uh, very much as all kinds of trouble that we go through, that David was between a rock and a hard place and crying out to God. And Psalm 42 is similar in some ways, but I find that assuming it's David, and there's a lot of it's, a, it's a, of the sons of Korah and the relationship between David and those musicians and, the, and that, that family and the life of the church at that time is debatable, but whether it's David or someone else, they have found themselves in a, a deeper place, a more fixed place circumstance, it seems like, so that their cry uh, is deeper uh, and more pronounced in some ways. And so I wanted to spend some time there. It's a rich psalm uh, really talking about depression, uh, which is what it seems that the, the psalmist has reached a place not just of going through a tough time, but of actually settling into a depression. And so let us read from God's Word uh, and hear from Him. Psalm 42, as the deer Pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become my food day and night, and while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How long? How would I go? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. And therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon to the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves, they've gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy and with deadly, a deadly wound in my bones? My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my God and my salvation. The Word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You that Your Word is true. Living and true. And honest. Oh, and so kind to include in the Scripture psalms like this that tell us You know us that tell us You care about us, that reveal even our own souls to us. 
but also that reveal You to us in the midst of our pain. Oh, Father, come near this morning and speak afresh to our souls. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Sometimes I get depressed. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get depressed. Sometimes people think I think a pastor is not a real person. That somehow they just don't experience the things that ordinary people experience. i got news for you, my friends. I'm an ordinary person. i got all kinds of issues. You can talk to my wife. She'll sell you, fill you in on a few. But I do get down. There are times that hope shrivels and dries up. There are times I get discouraged. There are times it seems like the light fades. Times when I'm depressed. For me, it's usually circumstantial. For me, it's usually something isn't going right. Somebody is against me. People are mad at me. People are in conflict with me. You know, there is some kind of crisis that has arisen. You know, there's some unhappy people. There's always some of those. So sometimes, you know, these... There are circumstances, sometimes I think we get depressed because circumstances are depressing. And that's just the way it is. And for all of us, if you live long enough, you will encourage disappointing, depressing circumstances and it will bring you down. And sometimes that down can settle in. The circumstances may have brought it on, but somehow you've settled into a place and when the circumstances even change, you may not come back out of it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But relationships and circumstances can be painful. Children grow up and move away and it's like a piece of your soul went with them. We grieve and it takes time to adjust and we lose people. We suffer loss and there is a hole in our lives and in our souls that we, we wrestle with the, the pain of it and it can settle in and, and go deep. We can lose a job. We can go through different seasons of our lives. Depression comes in a wide variety of sizes and shapes. It can be seasonal. It can be physiological. It can be spiritual. And physiological, I mean it can involve our brain chemistry. It can involve part of the fall as it affects our bodies and things misfire. Things aren't working the way that they should be. There are no easy answers to any depression. There just aren't. And when people try to give you an easy answer, it can be really annoying. Right? Chin up. Cheer up. Uh, you know, okay. <laughs> By definition is, you know, like, you don't think I thought of that? You know. Here this psalmist seems to have settled into a funk. It seems to be circumstantial. It seems that there is stuff going on. He seems far away, far away from, from God's people and far away from God and uh, he is wrestling with an exile. He has adversaries in his life. There are people saying things against him, saying discouraging things to him. And so he is just he's in a bad place. And it doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing that it's this week I ran into a rough situation. It seems like this season of my life uh, I have wrestled with something very deep and difficult. And the first thing we learned though as I read a psalm like this as I was praying in the opening, the first thing that we learned here is it's so... 
I don't know, it's not that misery loves company. It's just that misery wants to know that I'm not abnormal. There's nothing, that it's, it's nothing wrong with me per se. That, I'm, that it's normal. They can, there's something about God putting this psalm in here, allowing His psalmist to go through this and to articulate in words things that all of us experience and feel. The discouragement and the pain. The depression. And so God understands. I believe that's the first thing it says to us. You read it and you say, you get me. You understand that this happens to me. And the psalmist makes his complaint to God. He doesn't get rude. He doesn't get disrespectful. But he gets honest. He gets real. And God can handle real. God can handle your pain. God gets your pain. Right? He gets it better than you do. He understands the fall and He understands what it has done to you and to me. And He remembers our frame and that we are but dust. And so the psalm here then encourages us just by its existence that God's people through the millennia, those who have known Him and loved Him, as great as the kings and the psalmists of Israel have suffered in depression. Do you know how many people, as you read history, it is fascinating how many of the great saints of God were depressed. I, I love Charles Spurgeon. I've read so many of his ser- sermons and a lot of his stuff, and it shocked me to find out that he struggled with deep depression his whole life. When you read his prayers and some of his journals and, and, and things that he has left for us, that here is a man so used of God in the preaching of his word and starting orphanages and seminaries and what God did through this man, but he wrestled. Some of the great hymns that we sing are written by William Cooper who struggled uh, with suicidal, deep, depressive episodes in his life. Good friends with John Newton. We're going to talk about that. The role of good friends in the life of depression. But it's interesting and it's instructive that the psalm, even as it it expresses to us, as the psalmist talks to us about his depression, about how down he is, how cast down his soul is, uh, he begins it the way that he does. He begins with this intense longing for God. He comes out of the gate as the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before my God? I love it in a depressing psalm. There is this longing and this thirst. Depression by definition is the experience of negative emotions and negative Thoughts. And that's a cycle. That's a thing that's thoughts and emotions that, that take control. And by definition, there is this, this thing that goes on. And in it, though, when those, when those things rise to the surface, then it can eclipse a sense of God's presence. Right? The sense of it. That when we feel and know Him to be with us. And so, thirsting for a sense of His presence can be a very real part of depression because we don't sense His presence. But we long to sense it. We long to sense that He cares. We long to know that we're not abandoned. We long to know that we're not alone. And at those moments, doubt can set in. 
So he opens with this metaphor. I love it. It is a metaphor. It's a picture. Like, it's a picture of a deer ranging through the wilderness. Right? And it's not, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the tropical forests, you know, filled with water that are around, you know, as you get further south. This is, you know, in the Middle East, the wilderness was the wilderness. And water was fewer and farther between. And so you have this deer ranging through the wilderness searching for water, parched with thirst. You imagine him to be raging with thirst, with need and intense longing as the deer pants. This guy's thirsty. This deer is searching for something that will satisfy and sate his thirst to give him rest for this intense appetite uh, that is within him. And the psalmist says, this is my soul. (laughs) This is my soul ranging through the wilderness. Raging with a thirst that goes unsatisfied. Looking for a God who seems absent. And in His place, there is this sense of darkness. There is this... I'm down. I'm out. (laughs) Thirst is a physical appetite. When it's denied, it becomes forceful. It can be painful. They say thirst is more intense and more painful than hunger. And you can handle hunger better than you can thirst. When you speak of a raging thirst and that kind of thing, it's a powerful experience. Uh, Thirst is, if you've gone without for too long, they say you can go, I forget the numbers, but you can go a lot longer without food than you can without water. And that longing for water becomes intense faster. Like the body experiences this thirst. The psalmist says, so my soul experiences it. I get to that place where my whole body seems to be crying out for some kind of relief and satisfaction that I don't know. And it's hard. And there's this element of of longing for the church in the midst of it. And this fascinates me too. Because you're not talking about anybody, but you're talking about a believer, you're talking about one of God's people, somebody who knows God, has loved God, and walks with God. So he's not a man without experience of God. In fact, it comes through the whole thing is this, this sense of, I have known the experience of God in my life, but I'm not knowing that experience now. I have known joy. I don't know it now. I have tasted and seen that God is good, but I'm not experiencing that goodness now. And there's this longing, this sense of desire for God's church. You see it in verse 2. When shall I come and appear before my God? There is this sense of, of church. For them, the tabernacle where there was the, the court of, of, of <clears throat> that you could come into as God's people. And then there's that inner place where the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant, and the Shekinah glory and the presence of God where He abides in the midst of His people. And for them, for Israel to gather, to gather in that place was a sense that God was there and that we did this thing to, together. Um, and there's this longing, when can I come? It comes out again in verse 4. These are the things I remember as I'm pouring out my soul to God. Here's what's in my head. How I would go with the throng and I would lead them in the procession to the house of God. It was, there was worship. There was joy. It was good. It was good. And I miss it. I wish I could enjoy church. <laughs> I wish I could be there. But more than that, it's a longing for God Himself. Because even as He says those things, He says what my soul ultimately, verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. The living God who I have known 
And I know who knows me. And this is what makes it so difficult. How did I get here? Why am I here? Why does it hurt the way that it hurts? Outwardly, his circumstances, it seems that the psalmist is quite literally at a distance from the tabernacle, from Jerusalem. He is in exile. He is somewhere out in the wilderness. Uh, He is literally unable to go to church. But more than that is he is out there and he is suffering under other kinds of adverse circumstances. He also feels far from God and is suffering under a distance not only from then the from church and God's people, but from God Himself. And he longs for that return. And so let me say this, before I w- we take a closer look at his depression, we can go just a little deeper. Before we look at that, I want to pick one more note coming in the door. And these are the things that, that strike me as I come in. This, this longing for God and this sense of desire to be with God's people. <clears throat> and... Uh, and the fact that for me, that that is a, a, a good sign. I tell people when they're, they're looking for assurance, and often we say one of the signs of, a, of assurance uh, that you are God's person, and that even though you may not feel like it, He has not abandoned you. Uh, and, and one of those is that you care whether God has abandoned you. That you care whether He is pleased with you. That you long to be in His good graces. That you long to be in His presence. That you thirst for that sense of security that you belong to Him. There is in the psalmist's soul, I want us to notice this, there is a spark of grace. Right? There is a, little, there's a flame of life that however the psalmist's life, however far away he gets, literally or figuratively, however down he feels or depressed that he is, or however confused that he becomes at the bottom of the well of his empty soul where there is a raging thirst at the bottom of it there seems to be a seed of life there seems to be a spark of grace there is this desire to return and to experience those good things he hasn't walked away no matter the circumstances no matter the feelings at rock bottom there is a spark of life. God is my God. Right? That rides through the psalm. However, he speaks to his soul, why are you so down? Why are you so within me, in turmoil within me? No matter how far it goes, he says, God is my God. He's not saying, I'm so down and the circumstances are adverse and I'm way out here and, and I don't sense his presence, so surely God is... And then he says, there must be no... He never goes there. He says, there is a God. He is my God. And I thirst for Him. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I got here. But I don't want to be here. God is my God. And so the soul cries to the God He knows. Where are you? Where are you? I know you. I miss you. When things are bad, he senses God's absence, but he's not so much bitter as he is desperate, as he is thirsty. 
If you have ever tasted the goodness of God, we read it last time in Psalm 34, and I didn't have a chance to dig down, and the psalmist invites you to taste and see that God is good. And if you, like this psalmist seems clearly to have, if you have ever tasted and seen that God is good, you know that you know that you know that you know. And you may not understand the circumstances of life, and you may not understand even the the workings of your own soul in depression and in other things, and we may not understand all of that. But if you have ever tasted and seen that God is good, there is that which in you that always knows. That no matter how bad it gets, you may be confused, you may get angry, you may get a lot of things. But you know that the only thing that will satisfy your soul ultimately is God. Is He, in a sense, returning to us? See, our thirst, this thirst for God, this appetite for God that we read throughout this psalm is often mingled with our tears. I think it was the Puritans who talked about life. You know, and they lived in the 16th, 17th, 16th <clears throat> centuries, and you know, the life expectancy was like 35. You know, child mortality was at like 60%. You know, so they, they lived very close, you know, and, and death wasn't clinical. It wasn't, you know, done in a, in a, in a sterile room somewhere. You, you died at home. Your children, many of them, you buried in, in, in your life expectancy. And so life was, life was shorter and it was more intense and it was more. And they said this life, they were just closer to it. <laughs> and they said this life is a veil of tears. You know, because the world is broken. Because death has entered in. And because we are disordered, we are naked and ashamed and trying to cover ourselves. We're running and we're hiding and our relationships are broken and there is, there's brokenness in there and there's death. And they said, in the midst of it all, there is this God of hope who knows us and loves us and who we know. And they say, and, the, and though this life is a veil of tears, they really lived for that city that is yet to come. They really lived for that day. Um, and now you and I, the world is wealthier and death is further away and it's more clinical and it's more removed and life expectancy, I think I saw last night on the news, uh, life expectancy 78.8 years. You know, and um, I know many people in their 90s and so life expectancy and child mortality, we've controlled it, disease is controlled, we haven't seen the black death, we still fear that next one, but it's been centuries since we've seen a plague devastate humanity. Tears mingle. However we try to put it off, however we try to resist our aging, however we try to not think about death, however we try to clinicalize everything, the way of all flesh is to the same. And life is mixed. It's a broken world. Some of us are set on fixing it and making it home. And the Scripture says it's not your home. It never will be. And it's, it will be in this world you will have trouble. Uh, but take heart, I've overcome this world. In this world you will have tears. In this world you will weep. In this world you will struggle. And so you have these, these, this line in verse 3 that my tears have become my food. That's why I say this is a more settled thing. This is not somebody who went through a rough time. He's like, my tears have become my food. It's, my, it's my, been my diet. Right? I, I live on my tears you know, I, I'm crying then all the time. And not only that, it's been my food in, almost in the sense, and we know this in many ways, that people who are depressed often lose their appetite. 
right? And, they, and not just for food, you know, where their tears become their food, but they lose their appetite for, for many things. If they don't feel like often anything. They don't feel like being with people, or they don't feel like, you know, going to a movie, or they don't feel like getting out of bed. So their tears have become their food. It's lost its taste. His life has lost its luster, and his like soul has lost its joy. Day and night, he says, I'm assailed. Day and night, they say to me, where is your God? When they says they here, adversaries are mentioned in here, but when I first read it, when I said at that point in the psalm, and he says, day and night, they say to me, where is your God? I thought he meant his tears. I thought he meant his, his weeping, his own thoughts, that that was his, you know, that, that, that his depression, in a sense, says to him, where is your God? And then you read that he does have adversaries, and there may be actual taunts of, uh, of this man who belongs. I'm not sure who's taunting him, but it's repeated in verse 10, this whole thing. Um, verse 5 and verse 10 are identical. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise Him. Hope, my God is my salvation. And then, why are you cast down? O my soul. And in verse 10, he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, they keep saying to me, where is your God? These repeated refrains. And this time he says, it's like a wound in my bones. And again, this is where I say, this goes deeper. This isn't, you know, I went through a rough patch. This is, your bones are like at the center of everything else. <laughs> and if it's a wound in your bone, it's like at the very core of the deepest place of your being, he feels he has been struck and taken down. I know I'm taking you into the deep places here. You may or may not get there. Everyone wrestles in different ways at different times. But he pours out his soul and he longs for the days when he was connected. He felt connected and it's part of his pain is, rem- is remembering better days. Remembering when it was good. What happened and how did I get here? You know, I think of every shut-in almost that I've ever visited. You know, this whole thing. I remember the days when I went with the throng and the procession and the glad shouts. And I, I visit a lot of shut-ins and sometimes I'll go in a series, you know, over a long period of time depending on how long they're shut-in. And sh- by shut-in, we mean they're not able to get out. They're not able to be in church. I can't tell you. I, I think if I had to guess, and I, I would say 98% of every shut-in I've ever visited, either at least once or every time I visit them, would say, I miss church. I wish I could go to church. I wish, I hear, I listen to some of the sermons online and we send them CDs, but it's that constant thing that they always say, I wish I could be at church. So I must take it for granted. And the day may come when we can't, can't get there, that we can't be there. But it's a deep longing in people and it's part of their struggle and their loneliness. A shut-in is very much like David in the wilderness who can't get to the temple. And sometimes in their loneliness feel abandoned. So at the end of verse 5, he says, My soul is cast down within me. From the Jordan to Hermon to Mount, you know, throughout the wilderness, wherever I've traveled, wherever I go, um, it comes with me. In other words, you can, you can be depressed and go to the beach and still be depressed. You know, the change of venue, he, wherever he goes, 
It hasn't gotten better. He is in exile, literally feeling the distance. In Psalm 69.2, it says, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. If you've ever been depressed, that's how it feels. I'm in deep mire. I can't get a foothold. I can't get a foothold. I can't get a hand up. I can't get out of it. Right? He says, I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Right? That's verse 7. By the, by the day the Lord... No, deep calls to deep. And I wonder about this. A soul, my soul calling to His soul, but it's, it's my soul in the deeps of uh, being over my head. The roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Um, I've been swept under water. I'm in over my head. I, I'm drowning here. Plummer says he was in a sea of trouble. I think that sums it up. Sums up the psalm. Sums up how the guy feels. He was in a sea of trouble. Over his head. Is there anybody in this room who doesn't know what I'm talking about? At least, at least in situational and short term. But there are longer. And so the question becomes though, this is, this is not necessarily where God wants His people to live. And I believe even as we, um, I don't know, some way take comfort in the fact that the psalm is here and the psalmist has wrestled in ways that we do and he even goes down to a deep place uh, as we may, as you may have gotten why have you forgotten me? I go mourning because of the oppression that is on me. So how do we, what do we do about it? How do we get out of it? And I do believe that we are not to be passive in this. And the psalmist isn't. Even as he writes this. Write a psalm. Right? Pour out your heart to God. Right? Pour it out in, on paper. You know, put down all the things you're feeling. I've journaled on and off throughout my life and I found it very helpful. I don't always journal. And I don't always journal every day when I do journal, but for me, there is a process of getting things out, but just that the guy wrote it down. And so the first thing you might say is, you know, to wrestle with God in, in your own uh, journaling and writing and psalming before Him. But I do believe we need to fight for our joy. I think we need to fight our way back. God says, if you from there, wherever it is that you are, if you will seek me with all of your heart and all of your soul, you'll find me. And so there is this seeking. He is a deer, you know, ranging through the wilderness, searching for the water hole that is his God who would satisfy him. And so I think we fight for our joy, as John Piper would say. We fight. We walk the path of obedience and faith even when we don't feel like it. Right? And so I say there are four conversations you need to have. And it's just a, a way of thinking about it. I'm going to put it in terms of conversations. There are four conversations that you need to have. You need to talk to God. You need to talk to God's people. You need to talk to yourself. And then you need to talk to Jesus very specifically as your Savior. You need to talk to God. Right in verse 4, that's what he says he's doing. That's what we got on paper here. That's what I would encourage you to do at different times. These are the things I remember as I pour out my soul. Right? I pour it out. I don't keep it in. Oh, my friends, don't keep it in. Don't bottle it up. You will sink like a rock if you keep it in. Because of the weight of it will just take you down. So pour it out. I love that picture. It's another word picture, isn't it? I love that image. He says, I pour out my soul. It's like a pitcher of water and the image of pouring it out in, in front of God or whatever it is. You've got a basket of rocks and it's weighing you down and it's bugging you. He says, I pour out my soul you know, in, in, in before God. I, I, you know, or I pour it out with a counselor. I pour it out with a friend. But I pour out my soul. I let it out. I talk about it. I, 
You know, 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all of your anxieties on him. Cast them. And that word is like, throw, you know, unload them. Right? Don't, you know, so there is the place. God can handle your honesty. God can handle the truth about you. God knows your frame. Don't be afraid to tell him what you're thinking and feeling. He knows anyway. He knows more than you know about your soul. So we need to dump, right? We need to vent. We need to unload what's going on in our souls. And second, we need to have a conversation with God's people. And I would say connection with God's people. And he, you see it in here that he longs to be reconnected that way. He knows it is part of his spiritual life and health. You know, he longed for the day that he could be with God's people in worship. You know, that those were the good days. Even as I'm pouring out my soul, I remember what it was like to be among God's people. And what happens among God's people? Right? And there is a, in community, we teach it. I just finished teaching a section on the new members class, HPC 101, and talking about, you know, worship, serve, connect, and grow. And in the connect, and one of the deep necessary things for us is to connect with God's people. We need it for so many reasons. For, for accountability for one, but for encouragement for another, but for accountability and spiritual growth uh, another. And so there is this place that corporate worship and fellowship has in the life of the believer. And, and one of the reasons you have to point it out and say it very specifically is because when you are depressed, you don't feel like it. You are depressed, you just stop going to church. You stop going to small group. You stop calling your friend that you usually found very helpful and encouraging because, I don't know, we, we shut down. We don't pour it out and, and we don't share it. And we're commanded to share one another's burdens. And you can't obey that and let the others share your burden if you're not with them. And they don't know you well enough to, to help encourage, to walk with. The very thing we need is the very thing we often avoid. We need people who know us and pray for us and encourage us. And we need in that too, there with God's people is where you hear God's Word. And I believe that when you are depressed, you know, the word in the Scripture is often uh, spoken of as light. The Jesus is light, but also the Word of Christ is the, the light of Christ. The Gospel needs to break into our darkness. And sometimes we can't, we can't teach it to ourselves. There are times when I, I need somebody else to have faith for me. I need somebody else to pray for me. I don't even, can't even put it into words. But when a brother puts into words his love for me and his care and cries out to God on my behalf when I don't feel like praying, right? To have somebody, in a sense, believe for you and speak hope and truth into your life and to pray for you and to point you to God and to assure you that, that this too will pass, that, that God is faithful. Though the clouds have obscured the sun, it is still there, that it is still there. And we need people, we need to be connected Instead of the breakers of depression washing over us, sometimes you need to sit and let God's Word wash over you. You may not be reading it out there, you may not be, but to sit and just let, take it in. To let God speak to you. To speak into your circumstance. When we are depressed, we need routine. We need rhythm. We need discipline. We need to do all the things we used to do, believing that God will meet us there. Believing that God will speak to us there. Knowing that I did them before because they were good for my soul and they're still good for my soul. And so we need, it's like physical rehab. 
You know, if you just keep, you know, I used to bend my leg this way and now I can't. And so I go and have somebody help me bend my leg that way. You know, so, so someday I can walk again by myself. You know, and it's kind of like that. Come and let us, you know, help you, help you. We need to have a conversation to pour out our souls to God. We need, to, we need God's people and to have them speak into our lives. And we need to then begin to talk to ourselves. And I've said this before, and it's a little repetitive back from Psalm 13. You know, but I believe the psalmist does it. And I can't tell you how important I believe this is. Because you are your most influential counselor. You are. You speak to yourself more than any other human being on the face of the planet. Right? You, you live here. And so what goes on here is so important. And the psalmist leads the way in verse 5, you know, where he's able to step back and kind of take a look at himself and say, why are you cast down within me, O my soul? He's able to objectively see and diagnose what's going on with him. But here's the thing about it. He is not content to leave it there and to wallow in it. See, the thing is that depression feeds on itself. Negative thoughts, depressive thoughts, feed on themselves, and they lead you ever downward. They're not a ladder out. You know, they're the slide down. And so, <clears throat> we need to tell ourselves the truth. And we will hear it if we are pouring out our souls to God and reading His Word, and we are with God's people and hearing His Word, then we are being fed in such a way that we can talk to ourselves. To talk to our soul rather than listen to our soul. David here says to his soul, why are you cast down? Why, why are you in turmoil? Do you not know? And then he tells his soul, soul, self, hope in God. Stop it. Hope in God. God is worthy of your hope. He is worthy of your trust. He is faithful. I will say, I will praise Him again. I know I don't feel like it right now, but I will again. I believe that God will deliver me. It's the belief... You know, hope is the thing that every human being needs more than anything else. And half the time, if you come see me, I'm going to spend most of my time trying to give you hope. Right? To rekindle your faith. To point you toward the One who is able to do all things. He is my salvation. He is my God. We have to recognize the poisonous cycle that goes on within and begin to question ourselves and rebuke ourselves and talk to ourselves and preach the Gospel and the truth to ourselves. And you can do that better if you've got other voices around you encouraging you and informing you and telling you and praying for you. And finally, let me just point you to Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. He's not mentioned particularly there so many ways in almost every psalm where there's a psalm and it's quoted and applied to Jesus. And we know in many ways this is Jesus' songbook. And in Jesus who was a true man, this is His experience. And we know that He experienced things like this. And so we need to look to Jesus and talk to Him as our Savior. The, the One who wore our flesh and bore our burdens in His own body. The One who cried out in the garden, My soul is very sorrowful within me, even to death. And then says, therefore, remain and watch with me. He didn't, he didn't separate himself. He didn't isolate himself. He said, come and be with me. Help me. Sit, wait and pray with me. Right? And so the Savior, even as He is in the darkest hour of His life, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Our Savior said that. Our Savior felt that. 
And so Hebrews 5.7 says, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard. Right? This is our Savior. In, in the days of His flesh, He was tempted in every way like as we are because He felt and experienced those things that we experience. And so Hebrews 4.15 and 16 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who is in every respect tempted like us and yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Come. Come. He understands. He sympathizes. Come. And you will find grace to help in your time of need. I don't know why God leads us into the wilderness. He led the Savior into the wilderness where He was tempted for a long time. More than a month. A month and a half. He was sorely tempted. I believe that Jesus' temptations were real and His pain was very real. I don't know why we are led into the wilderness and I believe it's a thousand reasons and I think that, you know, we've talked about the question why. You, you may or may not ever have an answer to why. But I can tell you this, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, we should let it awaken our thirst. And instead of growing bitter, we should grow desperate and thirsty. And we know where the satisfaction is found. And so we do the things that lead us back to health and life. Right? We pursue the right way. Psalm 63.1, he says, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My Flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no other water. Right? And if you believe there is no other water for the soul, He is the answer. The soul thirsts, whether it knows it or not, for God. If you find yourself in the wilderness, in that dry and weary land, I would encourage you to stay thirsty. To stay thirsty, my friends. Because blessed are those who thirst for they will be satisfied. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for including this psalm in here and allowing us to see the pain in another soul. Father, I know that not all of us are experiencing that right now. and For many of us, we're in a better place. But I know, I know there are many here who know what we're, this psalmist is talking about. So I pray, Father, that You would come near as light in the darkness, as water to a weary soul. Oh, would You come near, and I pray, Father, that You would allow them to sense and to feel that spark of life, that seed of life, that, that thirst for You, and that it would awaken in them and lead them to pour themselves out to You, to fellowship with Your people, to sit under Your Word, to preach to their own souls, to come to their Savior who is a high priest, sympathetic, and able to give grace and help in a time of need. Oh, would You awaken this thirst in us that we might be satisfied in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.